0: There are so many ways you can support HUG. All you have to do is visit our website, heartsunitetheglobe.com, to see how you too can help empower, educate, and enrich the lives of individuals in the CHD and bereaved communities. Thank you all for your continued support. I hope you enjoyed this Encore presentation, Adult CHD Survivors on Pregnancy and Motherhood. I had so much fun searching for different episodes, about mothers or about parents for May while I was taking a little break. I wanted to bring back some encore presentations, and I love this show. You'll be hearing from some adult survivors of congenital heart defects about their views regarding pregnancy and motherhood. After my son was diagnosed with a congenital heart defect, I really wanted to meet adult survivors and talk to them and find out what their parents did right when raising them so that they could live a normal childhood. And I think one of the biggest parts about becoming an adult for a woman is thinking about pregnancy and whether or not they want to have children. I love this episode and I hope you enjoy it too. It is from season two of Heart to Heart with Anna and the theme was there is hope and I think that one of the biggest things I wanted to do with this radio show was to instill the belief that there is hope. Welcome to the 14th episode of the second season of Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Our purpose is to empower members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today we have more adults surviving their heart defects than babies being born with heart defects. That means that more adult survivors than ever before are living to the age where they might be considering having a baby or starting a family. The big question for parents of daughters born with heart defects is, can my daughter carry a baby to term and survive the birthing process? Growing a baby inside a woman's body is very taxing on the body, and specifically the mother's heart, which must work not only for the mother's body, but for the baby as well. For women born with complex, congenital heart defects, having a baby may simply not be an option without great risk to the baby and to the mother, which is why our topic today, Adult Congenital Heart Defect Survivors on Pregnancy and Motherhood, is so important. To discuss this topic today, our guests are Adult Congenital Heart Defect Survivors, Kelly Hewn, Michelle Pagan. And Pam Lafaurie. Kelly Hune was born with a primum atrial septal defect and a cleft mitral valve. This was not diagnosed until she was three years old. Kelly has had four open heart surgeries to repair the hole and the valve. Ultimately, the mitral valve was replaced with a mechanical valve in 2007. Kelly and her husband David adopted Abigail, a beautiful little ball of energy and smiles in 2010. Abigail has brought all new challenges into Kelly's life, but the rewards of being her mom are exponential. Kelly is a stay at home mom for Abigail, which means they can go on adventures, bake together, and Abigail goes to most of Kelly's cardiology appointments, which means that at five, she has an amazing understanding of the heart and how doctors perform checkups. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Kelly. Thank you. Well, I am so excited to have you on the show today. This is a really exciting topic for me. I have a lot of friends whose daughters are now adult age and considering pregnancy. I was wondering if you could tell us your story about adopting Abigail, because I know for some of my friends' daughters, actually having a baby with their own body is not going to be possible,
1: but that doesn't mean that they can't be a mom. With the pregnancy, it puts a lot of pressure on the ventricles particularly and that just adds a lot of complications. And for me specifically, this was decided in 2007 when I had my valve replacement. I had the option of either a tissue valve or a mechanical valve. The tissue valve would mean that I could maintain a healthy pregnancy to term, but that the valve would probably go bad pretty quickly afterwards and I would need another open heart surgery, which would make five And the other option was the mechanical valve, which would mean I would be on the blood thinner, which is very dangerous during pregnancy and birth, which would mean that I would not have the option of pregnancy to be a mother, but it also means that I would not need another open-heart surgery. So after much debate and much praying, my husband and I both decided that it would be best to opt for the mechanical valve. So... After the valve was placed in March of 2007, I started feeling healthy and active and ready to care for a child, and my husband and I started the adoption process in October of 2007. Well, I know from having friends who have adopted that
0: (laughs) starting the adoption process is one thing. Actually, getting to adopt a child Mm -hmm. is something totally else. So how difficult was it? What
1: was the biggest challenge that you faced in adopting Abigail? Part of the challenge was convincing the adoption agency that my heart was healthy enough, but that was solved with a letter from my cardiologist who said that she can't guarantee that I would live to be 80, but what doctor can? And that right. with the valve, yeah, with the valve, and with the um, the state that my heart was in at that time, the likelihood of me dying from my heart defect was far less likely than me. Dying from crossing the street um, Oh wow Yeah, it was just As long as I didn't get pregnant My health was fairly guaranteed As long as I kept myself healthy Like any normal person So that was one issue And But the major issue we had Actually was the depression That I went into after my heart surgery Which is completely normal But because I had this issue with depression I had to go through extra Mental health evaluation Before I was approved to adopt so we were actually approved to adopt in after all the background checks and all the paperwork and piles and piles of paperwork and interviewing everyone we have ever known. <laughs> um, wow. We were finally approved to adopt in January of 2009. Wow, so it took almost two years to get to the point where you
0: were finally approved to be adoptive yes. parents. Mm-hmm. See, that's what I meant. I know starting the process is one thing. <laughs> yeah. But it can take quite a while before the wheels are really turning emotion the way that they're supposed to. And wow.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I want
0: to get back just for a moment to talking about the depression. This is yeah. something that we've talked about on Heart to Heart with Anna before. It is so common to go through a period of depression after having open-heart surgery, or even being told that you need another open-heart surgery, I'm curious how the adoption agency knew that depression had been an issue with you and also what it was that you finally had to do, what hoops you had to jump through, so to say, in order to be able to be cleared by the adoption agency.
1: I was completely open and honest with them from the very beginning. I told them I had had heart surgery, that I was on antidepressant medication, and that because of the depression issues with the heart surgery, when you learn and accept that you will not be able to be pregnant, maintain a pregnancy, there's a grieving process. Mm -hmm. So I was grieving the loss of the child that I had always imagined but would never have, as well as going through the natural depression after heart surgery. And the extra hoops that I had to go through were the, the extra mental health evaluations, where it did show that I was depressed, that the psychiatrist that I spoke to wrote a letter stating basically that, yes, I was depressed, and yes, I had some anxieties, but I recognized it in myself, and that healthy way to go about it i recognized it and i sought help and as long as i maintain that mentality of okay this is an issue i have and i need to seek help for it that i would not be any danger to myself or anyone else they kind of took that out of the equation because i sought help
0: Wow, well, that's really good to know because I'm sure you're not the only one who has experienced something like this. And some women may be afraid to even start the adoption process if they are on antidepressants. But I think that you're right, and the psychiatrist is right. If you are wise enough to recognize that you are clinically depressed and you need some help and you seek that help, then that shouldn't be held against you. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that letter from him was what finally pushed it so that we were approved. That's
0: really good to know. So if there are any Mm -hmm. listeners out there who are concerned about this, what they need to do is contact either a counselor or a psychiatrist or a psychologist who can vouch for them that they have sought help, they are taking medications as needed, and that they're not a threat. I mean, I think that's really a healthy way to handle this situation. It should not prevent women from going ahead and going through with that adoption process, which can be very daunting. I mean, I can see why you might need a counselor to help you just go through the process because there's a lot of exploration that goes on. There are a lot of interviews that go on, and it's a very daunting process from what I've seen with my friends who have gone through it. Now, did you have Mm -hmm. a private adoption
1: agency that you worked with? In Michigan, it's all through private adoption agencies, even the Foster to Adopt which is what we ultimately wound up doing, is still through the private agencies. So any foster children who are given up as wards to the state, as my daughter was immediately after birth, still go through the private agencies. So she was adopted through Catholic Charities.
0: Okay. If you had to do it all over again, Kelly, knowing what you know now, what would you do
1: differently regarding your adoption process? Well, we actually are going through the adoption process again now for our second child, and From what we went through the first time, if we had changed anything, it might not have led to our daughter Abigail, who is just amazing. I could not have created someone as amazing as her. So I don't think I would change anything that we had done. But what I have changed this time is kind of my emotional response regarding pregnancy and rejection. The first time around, any time my friends announced that they were pregnant, and we were still waiting and we were still, even though we were ready to be parents, because we didn't have any kind of control over when it would happen. So there was absolutely nothing we could do to quicken it. Most normal healthy couples can track their fertility. We didn't have that as an option. So when our friends were announcing their pregnancies, I would get very depressed and I really took it personally, but I had a lot of issues with that. And I talked to my cardiologist, and I kind of felt validated because she said when she was going through the adoption process with her children, she went through the same thing where she told her husband, I cannot go to one more baby shower because I just want us to have our baby. But it still didn't help my relationships with my friends and my family. And the other issue that I had was the rejection by potential birth mothers as a sign of something wrong with me. I kind of felt like every time a birth mother looked at our profile and decided not to even interview us, much less meeting with us and deciding not to have us raise her child, it was a rejection to me on something wrong with me instead of Mm -hmm. that I just wasn't the match that she needed.
0: Mm -hmm. So it sounds like this second time, Because you already have Abigail, it has made your view of motherhood a little bit different. You're not, I hate to use this word, but I can't think of anything else right now. It's not like you're desperate to be a mom because you already are a mom. So trying to have this second child has taken a lot of that pressure off of you so that you can go to other people's baby showers now and you can be happy and not mourning the fact Mm -hmm. that you don't have a baby yourself.
1: Right, yes, and... The same friends who were pregnant at that point are actually pregnant now or um, (laughs) have recently had children. And I have been able to celebrate with them instead of mourning by myself.
0: Right, right. And also the rejection doesn't come as such a stinging blow anymore because you already have Abigail, and now the adoption agencies can actually present not just your record that shows you have a heart defect, but the record that you're a successful mom with a five-year-old daughter.
1: Yes. In our adoption process this time, we started the process in November, and we were approved in April, in November of of, uh, 2013 and approved in April of 2014. So now we're just well, in the waiting process right. again. Yeah, right. So it's a, right. much, so everything's much going a lot. much easier process. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, good, good. And I hope that Abigail gets a little brother or a little sister soon and that you can fulfill your family. Is that what you're hoping, just to have two children, or do you think you might adopt even more than that?
1: No, my husband was happy with one. And he's kind of going <laughs> along with two for me because that's what I always dreamed of, that's was always my family plan was to have two children. Whatever makes me happy makes him happy, and he is a wonderful dad and an amazing husband. I could not imagine <laughs> being a parent without him. He he's such a good support system for me.
0: Well, I love the photos that you shared with me, and I hope our listeners are actually looking at the slideshow that goes along with this program because she is just so gorgeous, and you look like such a happy family.
1: Thank you. Yeah, she is just a ball of energy and sunshine and happy all the time. That's And that's
0: what we hope for, a healthy, happy yes. baby who kind of completes us, kind of makes us feel like this is what we were meant to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thank Thank you for coming on the show and for sharing with us We need to take a quick commercial break but don't leave Coming up next we have another congenital heart defect survivor Who also wanted a baby of her own We'll discover how she and her family completed their family When we return to Heart to Heart with Anna
2: a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone. Visit babyheartspress.com to find out more.
0: Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with adult congenital heart defect survivors, Kelly Hume. Michelle Pagan and Pam Laferrier. We just finished talking with Kelly regarding her experience with adoption as a means to completing her family. And I really hope that she does get another child and maybe she can come on Heart to Heart with Hannah later and tell us about how that process went. But now we will turn our attention to Michelle Pagan. Michelle Pagan is a mom to twin heart-healthy girls, Risa and Nayli, with the help of a fantastic gestational surrogate. She also works full-time as an attorney specializing in IT. Michelle was born with a form of Tetralogy of Fallot, pulmonary atresia with ventricular septal defect, and multiple aortopulmonary collaterals, which are also known as MAPCAs or collaterals. She was cyanotic her whole life, and she underwent her first palliative open-heart surgery at age 26 with another open-heart surgery at 30 years of age. She and her husband tried for five years to stay pregnant as they suffered through six miscarriages due to unknown reasons before turning to adoption and then gestational surrogacy. We'll meet Pamela Ferrier in our next segment. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Michelle. Hi, Anna. Well, I am so excited in reading your bio that even though you lost six precious babies, now you have twins.
1: Oh, yes. It's just the culmination of everything that we've worked for, and we're so happy to have our girls. I know. That is just so exciting. When did you
0: and your husband decide that, okay, it's time to start our process of having a family, but it's not going to be with me carrying the babies?
1: Well, after multiple miscarriages and not knowing why it kept happening to us, and sometimes I wonder if it- was because of my heart, it was because of that, then definitely you probably would have progressed to something else much quicker. But never knowing Mm -hmm. that, you always wonder, the next time maybe it'll work, the next time maybe it'll work. But after we decided that clearly something was going on, that it wasn't working out for us, we decided to pursue adoption first. And uh, like Kelly was saying in the last segment, it was just taking a really long time to even get to the point where you're kind of on the list for adoption mm-hmm. and being profiled, and then we decided to try surrogacy as well, and whatever happened first, we would welcome that baby or babies into our life. and gestational surrogacy just happened to work for us before the adoption came through.
0: Well, not many people may know what gestational surrogacy is, so can you explain it in simple terms for my listeners?
1: Sure. There's technically two kinds of surrogacy, even though most people just call it surrogacy generally. There's traditional surrogacy, which is the surrogate's egg and the intended father's sperm, and then the intended mother would have no biological connection to the baby. But this isn't done very much anymore because with all the technological advances and reproductive treatment, gestational surrogacy with the intended mother's egg, and the intended father's sperm make the baby in vitro, and then the embryo is put back into a gestational surrogate or carrier instead of the intended mother. So the way we explained it to our friends is that it was our bun and her oven.
0: (laughs) That's neat. I like that. That's such an easy way to understand it. Thank you for explaining that, Michelle. How does gestational surrogacy differ from adoption legally?
1: It's really different depending on the state that you live in. In some states, it's completely illegal, and in some states, it's completely legal. In the state I live in, which is New York, it's actually illegal. But my cardiologist, adult congenital heart doctor, is in Massachusetts, and it's legal in Massachusetts. So we went through Massachusetts instead, and in some states, since it's illegal, you have to actually legally adopt your own genetically connected child, even though they are absolutely biologically related to you. For us, we were able to do a pre-birth order in Massachusetts where we went to court ahead of time, and we were recognized as the parents before the babies were even born, and then we could just take them home from the hospital very quickly. Everything was already in place. The birth certificate had our names on it from the very beginning.
0: Wow. I didn't know that it wasn't legal in all states. That's really important to know. Mm-hmm.
1: It's really crazy because there's absolutely no one-size-fits-all for the U.S. It's completely different. And you definitely need to look into the laws for the state that you live in.
0: And how would you go about doing that?
1: Honestly, a quick Google search, gestational surrogacy in the state that you live in, you can easily find out. There's several websites out there that say what's allowed and what's not, and I can't think of a website off the top of my head.
0: You know what? I'll try and Google that so that I can put that under the bio section for our show to make it easier for other people who are listening to the show. They can just go to the Heart to Heart with Anna website, and I'll have something up there to help them. Wow, I had no idea that there was a legal aspect like that where it may not even be legal to do it. I was thinking when I asked that question that there might be problems with the surrogate wanting to keep the babies. But it sounds to me like you handling this process the way that you did where you already had all the paperwork signed before the babies were even born that prevented a surrogate from being able to come back and try and claim the children. Is that true?
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. But we went through an independent agency to find our surrogate, and there's lots of different ways to find a surrogate. And a lot of times, because it can be pricey for the IVF treatments and everything that you're doing, a lot of people try to find their surrogate on the Internet and just meet somebody on the Internet and ask if they'll do it for them, which in some situations Mm -hmm. can really work out, but in other situations Mm -hmm. it's a little more dangerous to do it that way because you don't have the backing up of a quality agency, credible agency, you have to do your research, make sure you have a good agency, to do a background check and to do things Mm -hmm. to look up. The background of these women and when you are able to have somebody that can do that for you you can also do things go to court to get these pre-birth orders in certain states and do what you need to do to make sure everyone knows ahead of time what they're getting into you have to decide what if we didn't have a heart healthy baby what if something else was wrong with the baby who is going to be allowed to make those decisions and what the actual outcome would be and you want that all known ahead of time because you don't want to go into it and then be fighting over it later
0: Right. And what you just mentioned, you just mentioned two or three major issues right off the bat that could be of great concern. When I was talking to a friend of mine who was also considering gestational surrogacy, she told me that there's a 50% chance that you could
1: have twins.
0: So I guess that's something else that you need to consider.
1: I think because a lot of people put back more than one egg because when you're doing surrogacy, like Kelly was saying before, you want a baby so bad. You've been waiting. Mm -hmm. We had six miscarriages. We wanted a baby. Any way we could have our baby, we wanted a baby so badly. And so you put back multiple eggs, and so therefore Mm -hmm. you have a higher chance of having multiple children. If you really don't want twins, make sure you put back one egg. There is still always (laughs) a chance that the egg could split. If you really do not want twins, you're going to do one at a time.
0: Right, right. Well, what is the best advice you have for other couples who are also considering gestational surrogacy, knowing what you know now?
1: I think going through a reputable agency who can do the background information for you and find a surrogate for you that fits with what you're looking for and the person who meshes with you is really of the utmost importance. I know it's difficult because There's so many different ways now that you can find your own surrogate, and sometimes that works out just fine, but I don't think it's as, I want to say safe, I don't know if safe is the right word, but you're not quite as sure if it'll work out as well, because they're paid to think of these questions and issues ahead of time. And the other thing I would definitely recommend is that make sure you're completely comfortable with your surrogate, because over nine months, and even longer, because you have to do a lot of pre-screening and pre-medical stuff with them, make sure that you know them, you like them, you're going to become basically family with them, and you want somebody that you can trust with your baby, and that even afterwards you might want to keep in your life. because so they're so important to you at the end of all of this.
0: They really are. So that's really interesting, though, that you said first go through a reputable agency, and then next you said make sure you're comfortable with them, because how will you know if you're comfortable with them? Do you interview them and spend some time with them before you make your decision?
1: Yes, we got little questionnaires for a couple of surrogates before we went through with any one of them and decided to meet with one of them at her home in person beforehand. So we met her entire family. She had three kids. She had a husband. We saw where she lived. We were frank about what we were looking for and what we hoped to have in our journey together and what kind of relationship we wanted with her. And we wanted to make sure that she was okay with that. And sometimes when you use the word desperate desperate before, but sometimes when you want a baby so badly, you're like, whatever. I just want to get somewhere so that I can have my family. But you got to make sure right. that you guys work together is because then it will make the process so much easier, especially if there are issues, which luckily we didn't have. But if they're worried, you need someone that's going to be there with you for it.
0: Right, right. I'm curious, when you started this process, were you worried that your baby might have a heart defect?
1: I was. I was really concerned about it. As many people, adults with congenital heart disease, I didn't know why I had my defect. I was just bored with it. And so we did undergo genetic testing, and we did undergo a lot of things. And after the babies were conceived, we did have fetal heart echoes done on them, and they took a really close look at their hearts at about 20 weeks gestation to make sure that they were heart healthy. And luckily they were.
0: I'm so glad. I'm so glad to hear that. And this will give so much hope to other women who are also wanting to start their families. It sounds like you really went about this in such an intelligent way. So I'm curious, are you still friends with the
1: gestational surrogate? Do you all still talk to each other? Absolutely. I call her the aunt of my children. We're good friends. We came to their first birthday party. We're Facebook friends. We go over each other's houses even still, and it's great. I absolutely love her and her entire family. That is
0: so wonderful. That is just a beautiful story. I absolutely love that. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on the show and sharing this beautiful story with us. And now it's time for a quick commercial break, but don't leave yet. We still have another adult who will be coming on the show with us. She also dreamed of motherhood. And we'll find out what her heart defect was and how she achieved her dream of being a mom when we return to Heart to Heart
2: with Anna. Anna Jaworski has spoken around the world at congenital. Heart defect events, and she is available as a keynote or guest speaker for your event. Go to HeartToHeartWithAnna.com to learn more about booking Anna for your event. You can also find out more about the radio program, keep up to date with CHD resources and information about advocacy groups, as well as read Anna's weekly blog. Anna wants you to stay well connected and participate in the CHD community. Visit HeartToHeartWithAnna.com today.
0: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with adult congenital heart defect survivors, Kelly Hewn, Michelle Pagan, and Pamela Ferrier. We just finished talking with Kelly and Michelle about their experiences in completing their families. And now we'll turn our attention to Pamela Ferrier. Pamela Ferrier was born in 1984 with Tetralogy of Fallot one of the more complex but common forms of congenital heart defects. She is now 29 years old, and over that time, she has undergone a variety of surgeries and catheterizations. Two of these major procedures took place back-to-back in January and April of 2013, which turned out to be a very busy year for her. After getting married in July of 2013 and then getting approval from her doctors, Pam became pregnant in October of that same year. Her heart condition was monitored closely, but ultimately had very little effect on her pregnancy, which resulted in the birth of her beautiful baby girl in June of 2014. She and her husband are adjusting well to parenthood and looking forward to the possibility of having a second child sometime soon. Welcome to Heart to Heart with Anna, Pam.
3: Thank you, Anna.
0: Pam, in my book, The Heart of a Mother, the introduction is actually written by a great-grandmother who was born with Tetralogy of Fallot way back in 1938. Like you, Judy had a heart-healthy daughter. Judy was never told that she couldn't have a baby, but pregnancy really was kind of difficult for her, and she ended up only having one child. What was your biggest concern in talking to your doctors about wanting to get pregnant?
3: I was afraid they were going to say no.
2: I had been really ill
3: for about two years, while once with unconfirmed endocarditis, and then again in 2013 with both my surgeries. And to circumvent the no answer from my cardiologist, I kind of went to my GP, and she said yes. <laughs> <laughs> so the first the doctor you talked to was your GP? Yeah. said yes, and I was like, well, then we're good. <laughs> okay. And My obstetrician wasn't too happy with that. He had told me that as long as the echo showed that everything had improved and that my heart was functioning properly, then we could continue with the pregnancy. That was only seven weeks at that point. And thankfully, the echo turned out to be even better than she expected.
0: So, wait a minute. You talked to your general practitioner and you talked to an OB-GYN. Did you ever consult with your cardiologist about
3: this? I did long before we got pregnant. He was hesitant and warned me that there could be very big problems if I did get pregnant, but he didn't say no either.
0: Okay, that's good to know. I'm glad to hear that the echo went better than the OBGYN was expecting. Mm -hmm. When did you have that first echo? That first
3: echo was done when I was about 10 weeks pregnant.
0: So it was really early. You must have found out right away when you got pregnant.
3: Yeah. Once I missed it in October, I had a feeling that I was pregnant right away. So called the obstetrician and made my appointments right away.
0: Well, that was really intelligent. So were you considered a high-risk pregnancy at that point?
3: I was, and I did see my obstetrician regularly. I saw her once a month until I was about 34 weeks, and then she switched every two weeks and then once a week. hmm it was weird, though, with my cardiologist. Initially, when I went at my 12 weeks, he said that he didn't need to see me again until about five days before my due date, and I was like, well, that's a little strange. But wow. he ended up seeing me at 32 weeks and then again at 36 weeks just to make sure everything was good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so what exactly did the pediatric cardiologist do with you?
3: He just did more normal checks, so my ECG was normal. There was no problem there. They did an echo at 36 weeks just to make sure everything was still good. It showed very little change, which they were happy with. Mm -hmm. And the only thing he wanted to do was have an induction, which both me and my Mm. obstetrician declined.
0: Oh, really? And why is that?
3: I was not having any problems with my heart. There were no problems at all. No symptoms. She felt that I was good enough to continue to go along, but that we would evaluate it every week until, Mm -hmm. of course, if there were problems.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow. So you worked with a high-risk OBGN, is that right, Mm -hmm. or obstetrician, and you saw your regular pediatric cardiologist. Were there any other doctors that were also involved?
3: No, just those two. And my cardiologist is actually an adult cardiologist, specifically for congenital defects.
0: That's excellent. You're really lucky that you have somebody who really understands what the adult physiology is all about then. We heard from some of our other guests today how some of them had wished that they could carry a baby to term. Did you ever have any scary moments during your pregnancy where you were afraid maybe you couldn't carry the baby to term?
3: I wasn't as much afraid as worried that I wouldn't carry. Many years ago, I was pregnant when I was 20 and had a lot of problems, um, including lots of preterm labor, and delivering at 35 weeks. So when I was pregnant this time with my daughter, I was scared that my heart would just decide, yeah, we're not doing this anymore, and force me to go into labor really early. But it was really easy and very well caught, and there were no problems. So I was able to go right up until I was 38 weeks and three days when I had her.
0: And you had her normally?
3: Normal vaginal delivery
0: Wow, that's just so awesome But you said that when you were 20 you were pregnant before So did you suffer a miscarriage with that pregnancy?
3: No, I I had my son at 35 weeks and I placed him for adoption So I've been on the other side of the adoption process I've been the birth mother
0: Wow, so you really understand motherhood from a number of perspectives, don't you Pam? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do you were just too young at that point to be able to take care of the baby? Is that how you felt?
3: Too young, no education, no house, no husband, you know, all those kind of things we all want when we're ready to be a mom.
0: Mhm. And so now you have a healthy baby, which is very mm-hmm. exciting. And is the baby heart
3: healthy? She is. They made sure at my ultrasound that she was perfect and They even showed me her heart, and they showed me what it would look like with my defect had they been able to check for that in 1984. Right. And so she showed me the blood flow through the heart. And so Uh, they were really good about showing me that it was completely 100% normal.
0: Wow. Isn't that amazing? Because I know back in the 1980s, they didn't have ultrasound technology like they do today. And so that must have been quite miraculous. Now, was your mother with you through any
3: of this? Actually, my mom passed away when I was 18, so just my dad.
0: I'm sorry to hear that. It's got to be hard to go through all of this without your mom. How is your dad, though? Is he a doting grandpa?
3: He is. He lives most of the time in New Zealand. And then he comes back to Canada during our summer. And Mm -hmm. he drove from Alberta all the way out to Winnipeg, Manitoba, for the birth of my baby.
0: Well, he's just got to be so excited to see this healthy baby and to be able to be part of this baby girl's life. Do you have other heart friends that you talked to before you decided to try and have a baby again? And can you tell us if there are any support groups for adults with congenital heart defects who are wanting to get pregnant?
3: There weren't. When I was growing up, I didn't know very many people with heart problems. There were a couple. I know one of them passed away when we were 13, Then mm-hmm. she had a very similar defect that scared the crap out of me. And another classmate of mine, but he's male, so he's never going to have to worry about Carrying a baby, there wasn't a lot, but I ended up on Facebook and there were a couple of groups specifically for women with uh, congenital defects, including one specifically for women wanting to get pregnant or who already had been pregnant, and they were a great resource of asking what to expect, and they were very supportive of being pregnant or doing the surrogacy or adopting. Both groups are amazing women. Mm
0: -hmm. And I think that's what you really need, especially since you didn't have your mom to talk to. You needed some other women, in my opinion. (laughs) I'm big on social networking, though. But I would think that you would want to have other women that you could ask questions of and that could be there and be and encouraging you because it's scary to be pregnant whether you have a heart defect or not. You know that there are things that could go wrong and it helps to have people around who care about you and want to see you be successful. Don't you think so?
3: Oh, it's very important. And Actually, I met finally uh, another lady who's my age. She lives in Winnipeg and she has a congenital heart defect as well. I finally got to meet someone in my area in January and she's actually Mm -hmm. getting ready to do surrogacy up here in Canada, so she's pretty excited. That's so great. It's so good
0: to have another friend who really understands
3: what it is that you're going through, and
0: she can probably turn to you and ask you a gazillion questions, and you probably know the answers,
1: (laughs) which would be really, really
0: helpful. Mm -hmm. Pam, what advice would you give to other adults with congenital heart defects who wish to become pregnant?
3: Just to make sure that you really do get the okay from both your cardiologist and your high-risk OE, and to weigh the options, I'm more of a risk-taker. So for me, even knowing that I could have a heart attack or I could have a stroke or I could have preeclampsia, I went ahead knowing all of that. But I also trusted my body, knowing that I have a regular cycle, so obviously my body is ready for this. Mm-hmm. And I think if I wasn't ready and I did get pregnant, perhaps... I would have a miscarriage because my body would not be able to handle it. But every woman has to weigh the pros and cons. And being healthy and feeling healthy before getting pregnant is the biggest thing. Because if you're not, there, you're probably going to run into a lot of problems. I think that's really good advice.
0: And I think it's good that you feel in tune with your body. I get frustrated with doctors sometimes when they deliver advice to patients and they don't really listen to how those patients feel about their own body because you know your body better than any doctor does, really. You live with it 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day. I mean, you know your body. You know what you're capable of. And it probably helped, too, that you had given birth when you were 20, Mm -hmm. and it sounds like it was uneventful. So that was a success. So you knew that you had done it before, which probably gave you a little bit more confidence that you could do it again, wouldn't you think?
3: Mm. It did. It was funny, when I was 17 my cardiologist at that time had said, you are in such really good health, you should have a baby right now. And I was like, Hmm. no. No, I'm 17. We'll wait. Um, When I was 20, I was not in the best health. I used to do a lot of Usual dumb young person stuff, so a lot of partying and out till 3 in the morning and all of that stuff. Whereas this time I was, I'm married, I work, so I'm home, usually in bed by 11 o'clock. You know, taking much better care of myself at this point
0: than I was when I was 20. Sure, sure. All of that makes Perfect sense. And I think there's a difference too when mentally you're ready. It sounds like mentally you knew you had all of your ducks in a row. You were married, you were working, so you had the money, you had the insurance. It sounds like, well, you're in Canada, so you're on federal insurance, right?
3: Yeah, government, government insurance. Uh, so
0: that's not as much of a concern for you as it would be for somebody here in the States or perhaps in some of the other countries. But it sounds to me like mentally and emotionally, you were much better prepared to be a mom the second time than you were before.
3: I I really was. It was a much better situation and ready for it with a really awesome husband who's really supportive and quite good with our baby. So.
0: Oh, that's so sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us, Pam. It's time for a last commercial break, but don't leave, because when we come back, we'll have all of the ladies in the studio together, and we'll find out what parting advice they have for us when we return to Heart to Heart with Anna.
2: Anna Jaworski has written several books to empower the congenital heart defect, or CHD, community. These books can be found at Amazon.com or at her website, www.com babyheartspress.com her bestseller is The Heart of a Mother an anthology of stories written by women for women in the CHD community Anna's other books My Brother Needs an Operation The Heart of a Father and Hypoplastic Left Heart Syndrome a handbook for parents will help you understand that you are not alone visit babyheartspress.com to find out more
0: Welcome back to our show, Heart to Heart with Anna, a show for the congenital heart defect community. Today we are talking with adult congenital heart defect survivors, Kelly Hune, Michelle Pagan, and Pamela Ferrier. We talked with these beautiful women about growing up with a congenital heart defect and the challenges that they have faced in becoming mothers themselves. And I want to thank all of you ladies, Kelly, Michelle, and Pam for coming on the show today. This topic is so important to so many families of daughters with congenital heart defects but i have a son and this is something that i have been wondering about as well when he is ready to get married and decides to have a family what route will he go so i really appreciate the candor with which you have spoken to me about your trials and your experiences and wanting to start a family of your own
1: you're welcome yes thank Thank you
0: It's always weird when I throw something out there like that. If we're in the studio, but even though we're in the studio, we can't see each other face to face, so we don't know who's going to talk first. <laughs> right. So thank you for responding. Someday maybe we can do this where we can actually see each other, and it would make it a little bit easier. But we don't have a whole lot of time, but we do have about seven or eight minutes that we could talk. So I'm going to ask each of you ladies in turn if you have any parting questions for one of the other guests or if you have a comment. And I hope we have a couple minutes at the end because I do want to talk about genetic testing and if any of you ladies have had it or considered it. But I will go ahead and start with you, Kelly. Kelly?
1: if you have a parting comment, advice, question? I can't think of any questions, but just kind of piggybacking on something that Pam had mentioned. When I was 15, I was told by my pediatric cardiologist that I was at the perfect health to be pregnant and survive a pregnancy, which at 15 was, I mean, Pam heard it at 17 and knew it was wrong. At 15, it was really wrong, And but it got my hopes up. Mm. I think it got my hopes up so that in... 2006, I was absolutely devastated to find out that that would not be an option for me. So, you know, oh. you really have to be very careful what you say to them. Because mm-hmm. I had faced everything. I had always wanted to be a mom. That was the only thing I could ever, my only career goal ever was to be a mom. Which I know isn't really a career, but... It mm-hmm. is a career. No, no, no. It is a career. Oh, oh yeah, it is. <laughs> I think all of
0: us oh. would have to
1: agree. This is a great, well, this is a career,
0: <laughs> and it's one that you um, can
1: never retire from. <laughs> right. And the but the the pay is awesome, but the or the pay is terrible, but the the coworker is really hot, so that always works out. Um, <laughs> the benefits <are> good. <laughs> yeah. Um, all the hugs yeah, and kisses I mean,
0: can't can't make up, can't right. make up any money oh, for
1: that's that. So true. <laughs> but yeah, just the. Pediatric cardiologist. I think they really need to be careful what they say to their patient. Yeah. Or you know, I don't feel know. If like I was hope was there's some.
0: Yeah. It makes me feel like I hope there are some pediatric cardiologists who are listening today because there right. is something I I can't even imagine somebody saying that to a fifteen-year-old. Because if I were the mother in the appointment and the doctor said to my child, "Oh, you're at the perfect age to have a baby at 15 I would be mortified.
1: <laughs> because well, really, emotional the age. Ready. Right. Well, no, it was, I was I the Oh,
0: in the perfect health. health. Perfect health. Age. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, but, and, okay,
1: but still. And but, immediately my, but, my mom mm. turned to me like the good mother that she was and, and said, not yet.
0: <laughs> right, <So. laughs> right.
1: Okay. I'm really, really glad that you said something like
0: that because that is something that more cardiologists are going to be facing children surviving their teens and into adulthood, and things can change. So if the... Person isn't really ready to be a mother. I don't. I don't think that that kind of comment is really very helpful. Although I'm sure you found it very helpful at the time, and it filled you with so much hope, but only to have it dashed later. I mm-hmm. mean, that would be just devastating. Okay, well, so let's go yeah. to Michelle second and see if Michelle has something she would like to impart upon our listeners.
1: I think what I'd probably say is that. No matter what, if you want to be a parent, you want to be a mom, you can find a way to do it. Because I feel a certain kinship with Kelly in some ways of wanting to be a mother and getting kind of taken away because I underwent my two heart surgeries in order to be able to get pregnant. And Mm -hmm. in the end, it still didn't work out completely the way I had hoped. Mm -hmm. But where there's a will, there's a way. And whether it's through adoption or surrogacy or you're able to do it yourself, I just think you can do it if you want it.
0: I love that. That's so beautiful. And I want that to be the vision that everybody leaves listening to the show with that there is a way. Where there's a will, there's mm-hmm. a way, and it can be done. I love that. Okay, Pam, you get to have the last word of the three here before we talk for just a minute about genetic testing. So do you have a last bit of advice or a question?
3: Just like the other ladies were saying, there is a way to be a mother, even though we have such an uncertain future. But I think that goes for anybody because nobody knows how long we have. Tomorrow one of us can go outside and get hit by a car. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: But if we don't take the risk today, we won't know what that reward is if we don't do it.
1: I
0: just love that. You're absolutely right. None of us have a guaranteed future. And when you're ready to do it, there's no reason why you shouldn't go ahead and try it. And I really believe, especially if you have a very supportive husband and a supportive family, it's just so rewarding to be a mom. I can't imagine my life without my two boys. I would not be the person I am today without my boys. Okay, so let's talk real quick about genetic counseling and whether or not you've already
1: had it or planning on having it. Kelly, I'm going to start with you, sweetie. We didn't, um, it hadn't even crossed our minds, but my my younger brother, because of my heart defect, when his wife was pregnant, they did multiple ultrasounds, like cardiac ultrasounds, to check the baby's heart, which turned out to be heart-healthy, but... So, yeah, I mean, that's another thing to consider is it's a birth defect, but it can be genetic. And your siblings and your nieces and nephews and your children are more likely to be born with a heart defect if there's a family member with one.
0: That's absolutely true, and since my son has a left sided heart defect, Kelly, I actually have done some research on this, and children with left sided heart defects, like my son, who was born with variation of hypoplastic left heart syndrome, the first degree relatives, siblings, and first degree cousins are actually more at risk than other family members are, <gasps> and there's That's a disproportionate mhm there's a disproportionate number of other relatives that have undiagnosed congenital heart defects. And the number one undiagnosed congenital heart defect that was discovered in this study that was done by CHOP is by cuspid aortic valve. So I found that study to be very interesting. It was a very small number of subjects. And the risk still was not that huge, but it was much greater than the population at large. So I know when it comes time for Joey to want to have a baby, to get married and want to have a baby, that that's something I'm going to Be encouraging him to check into, just like your brother did. Let's just make sure that the heart is healthy as we go along because there is a potential for a problem. Michelle, did you consider having the genetic testing considering you were doing the gestational surrogacy?
1: Yeah, we actually did a lot of it when I was trying to get and stay pregnant because of the miscarriages, so we were really concerned that maybe the heart had something to do with it. So I actually Mm -hmm. had my entire carrier type, which is my whole genetic sequence, chromosomes tested, and there was no genetic connection for me. So it was a birth defect for me, but mine, it seems, is not genetic, or at least from what they can tell with today's technology. So I'm I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful to know that, too, but my brother actually had it when his wife was pregnant. They also did have their baby had some extra testing as well, just to make sure. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have a heart issue, and the baby's heart healthy as well. But it's good to know going forward that, you know, for me, it's I don't know what you call it, a mutation or or whatnot that led to it, but it's not genetic for me.
0: Wow. That's very good news. Okay, Pam, you're the last one to answer the question. Have you had genetic testing, and if you haven't, are you considering doing
3: it? I had it done when I was pregnant. At about 12 weeks, they can do an ultrasound where they measure parts of the neck. And apparently, you can actually give them a really good indication of heart problems later on in formation. So I had that done when I was 12 weeks pregnant, and everything turned out great. But they did warn me it does increase from your normal population of 1 in 100 to maybe about 2 or 3 in 100 chance. Mm -hmm. that the baby will be born with a heart defect. So it jumps, but not significantly.
0: Well, and I think that's a really good point to make, Pam, that, yes, you do have maybe twice as great a chance of having a baby with a heart defect if you have a heart defect yourself, but that still means you have a 98% chance that the baby's going to be heart healthy. And I think we need to focus on that positive number, although we don't want to be broadsided and not be prepared in case our baby does have a heart problem. But I like that you said that. I like that you say, yes, maybe it went from 1% to 2%, or in the case where my son is concerned, the small population that they looked at, it rose to 7 or 8%, which is still a lot higher. However, there's still over a 90% chance that the baby is going to be heart healthy. So I think those are good things to be aware of. But I love what was said earlier, which is where there's a will, there's a way. And you can be a mother. And I don't know about how you ladies feel about this, but I did not know that my son was going to have a heart defect when I was pregnant. He's 20 now, and even though I had multiple ultrasounds, they never detected anything wrong with his heart. But had I known, I still would have had Alex. I love my son. I can't imagine my life without him. I just would have been better prepared for that first surgery, and we wouldn't have had two months wondering what was going on and why the baby wasn't eating well and why he wasn't gaining weight. We would have been better prepared. But it certainly would not have prevented me from having my child. So I think all of you ladies are amazing moms, and I thank you so much for coming on the show and shedding some light on motherhood for adults with congenital heart defects. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Well, that does conclude this episode of Heart to Heart with Anna. I hope you enjoyed this encore presentation of Heart to Heart with Anna. We are taking most of May 2016 off to prepare for Season 8 and also to get a little R&R. Season 8 will begin May 31st, but every Tuesday in May, except for May 31st, we will be featuring an encore Presentation. So I hope you'll tune in to hear these special encore presentations, and I hope that you will share this radio show with others. Heart to Heart with Anna is the only radio show devoted to the congenital heart defect community, and we have been airing shows since 2013. Please come back again next week for another Encore presentation of Heart to Heart with Anna. Please find and like us on Facebook. Check out our website, hearttoheartwithanna.com, and our Cafe Press Boutique. And follow us on Blog Talk Radio. And remember, my friends, there is hope.